The reading is John chapter 12, verse 12 to 36. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus predicts his death. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Thank you, Nick.
So today, Palm Sunday, much like Good Friday, Easter Day, Christmas and so on, is a day that all Christians celebrate. It's a good feeling to know that today the family of God are hearing about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We have our palm crosses to wave around. There's plenty of palm craft across the country for the children that attend. And the songs traditionally have more than a small helping have hosannas in the lyrics. It's straightforward enough for us to celebrate Palm Sunday as the lead up to Easter Day because we know the ending, or more accurately, the beginning. Let's just consider that for the people there at this period of Jesus' time on earth is a case, case of experience good news to bad news a couple of times over. The good news that he'd come as the king of Israel to rescue them from the captivity and oppression by the Romans to the bad news that he was condemned to die by crucifixion before he'd had a chance to rescue them followed by the good news that he overcame death and was resurrected but there followed more bad news when he left them again at his transfiguration ending with the ultimate good news that our place in heaven with our father was secure because of the saving grace we have in Jesus and the constant presence thereafter of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't know all that on the first Palm Sunday. I make big thanks for the fact that I can look at his story in the Bible. I particularly take heart from the scripture in John 20, 28 and 29 after Jesus was resurrected and was appearing to many, including Thomas. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, that's us, isn't it? We're blessed indeed. However, that day, Palm Sunday, was an exceptional event in the moment that in the moment was full of promise for the people of Jerusalem and indeed Israel to be freed from captivity as prophesied in the Old Testament. So let's start with who in fact was following Jesus on Palm Sunday. The disciples, as we know, were called by him to follow, support and learn from the great teachings he shared with them and countless others. Or the Pharisees, who were following him with the express aim to oust him, get rid of him somehow, perhaps by catching him out, because of his teachings went against their well-established standing as leaders of the Jewish religious community. Then there's Jesus' fan club, which was growing by the day, especially with the miracles of feeding the 4,000 in Matthew 15, and earlier the 5,000 in John 6. I do like that food is often the hook to get people's attention. There were some who no doubt had heard or even witnessed the many miracles of healing that Jesus had performed. Also, the astounding miracle shortly before Palm Sunday of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb after being there for four days, as told in John 11. It was most likely that these were the people that were laying the palms in his path. 
There was also an increased number of people in Jerusalem at this time who had come to worship at the festival. This influx included Greeks who had traveled especially for this event. Some of them even requested to see Jesus. Such was the power of the news spreading of his miracles and teachings. I'll come back to them later. I think we can also add to this list a number of people uh, which tells us in Luke 19, verse 41, who witnessed Jesus weeping over Jerusalem as he descended the Mount of Olives prior to entering the city. In Luke 19, 41 to 44, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on one another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. He knew what the future held for Jerusalem, total destruction by the Romans in AD 70, followed by the scattering of the Jewish people. So, as Jesus went down the road of the Mount of Olives, he looked over the city and wept. He was suddenly seized with the sorrow that causes one to lose control and cry out loud. The Greek word klio, meaning intense sobbing by Jesus, was witnessed by many, but understood by few, if any at all. And when he looked at the city and the temple, what was he looking at, I wonder? The buildings, the history, the people? people Jesus loves people, his brothers and sisters. That was at the heart of his grief. He was perhaps remembering the multiple times his father had guided and rescued his people. Now the Jews were at this massive turning point. It's little wonder he wept. Jesus knew the people had missed the cue, the sign that was him. So maybe there were people there that were just curious about this enigmatic man displaying such grief about something they knew not what. Plenty of people knew Jesus for plenty of reasons. Reasons that might have compelled them to be around Jesus and watch what happens. So what people were part of Jesus' plans, knowingly or otherwise? I believe it's fair to say that the only person in full understanding of that day was Jesus himself. As we've seen so far, many people played a part in the plans that when fitted together, showed the glorious picture in all its fullness. As he entered Jerusalem, his plans were already in place. We see his obedience to his father God we know that the upper room was prepared, booked as it were, in which he and his disciples would celebrate the Passover feast. We know the cult was made available. 
A donkey colt, by the way, is male, uncastrated and less than four years old. Not only is it a lowly animal, but untrained and lively. Some might consider it to be unrideable. But he was able to master this unpredictable beast. An indication, perhaps, that nothing, however lowly or grand, wild or docile, is beyond the mastery of him. More importantly, it wasn't until later that his disciples understood that Jesus riding in on a donkey's colt was to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The unfolding events were not by some chance or strange coincidence. These were events as prophesied in the Old Testament with the finer details orchestrated by Jesus himself beforehand. Jesus was willing and fully aware of the part he was to play in obedience to his Father God. So we knew Jesus knew these things had to come to pass in a certain way at a particular time. While studying for this message to you, I discovered that in 1957, the author, Sir Robert Anderson, published a book entitled The Coming Prince. The book focuses on the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where a curious sum of multiples of seven, equaling 483, indicates the period of time from when the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Anderson points out that on the very day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, 483 years had indeed elapsed from the time of the issuing of the commandment to build the walls of Jerusalem. This was a strategic day in the history of Israel. Our Lord was fully aware of it, and that is why he had chosen this day. And of course, additionally in verse 7, at 27, it says, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. For some, the evidence of timing, along with authentic prophecy, goes a long way to convince those in the process of seeking God. It's great and wonderful that the Old Testament writings can still not only be relevant, but pivotal to our understanding. Personally, I appreciate these confirmations of God's will and purpose coming into being, but belief and faith in Jesus as my saviour is where my spiritual conviction rests. Hello. Can I give you that? No, he's not interested in that. Let's go back to the Greeks and the part they played in the plans when they approached the disciples. Remember that the outer courts... 
Remember that the outer courts of the temple were called the courts of the Gentiles. Many Gentiles would go up to the festival times like this to worship. Although they could not go beyond those courts on pain of their life, this would explain why there were Greeks in that area at that time. They were obviously interested in the events so far surrounding Jesus, so naturally they wanted to meet him. They specifically picked out the two disciples with Greek names, Philip and Andrew. Philip, we are told, was from Bethsaida, on the northern side of the Lake of Galilee, the area where the Gentiles had most fully settled. They, the Greeks, made the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. When Philip and Andrew took this request to Jesus, it was as if the all systems go button had been activated. If the entry on a donkey cult with the palms being laid at his feet was to fulfill prophecy, this specific request appeared to be the point that Jesus could fully acknowledge that the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Having said on, on several occasions beforehand, my hour has not yet come. Sir, we would like to see Jesus, could well sum up the transition from curiosity to commitment that many Christians experience during their growing relationship with him. And apparently, this phrase can be found engraved on the inside of pulpits to remind or encourage the speaker to take the congregation to him for them to see. So who's still in the dark? He went on with the specific emphasis he used on many occasions, either truly, truly, or in this passage, very truly. Well, that's the people's and our cue to listen up and pay attention. He goes on to give not one, but two obvious yet cryptic descriptions of what is about to happen. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. We get a glimpse of the very human side of Jesus when he said, now my soul is troubled. Yet it's then swiftly followed with him acknowledging the reason he came down to earth along with his complete and utter unity with God. How great is that? Our own faith, hope and belief 
that sin and death has been defeated more than likely suffers from the odd moment or two of doubt. Of course it does. We're human. That's the time to lean into Jesus, the rock of our salvation, to hear the many I am's that is him, to remind ourselves of the truly, truly, or very truly messages that are there for us to be firmly encouraged. Of course, in true form from the people, there were differing understandings of what they had just heard when the voice came from heaven. Was it thunder? An angel speaking to him? As they leaned in waiting for Jesus to explain it to them, he said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. And there it is. Glorifying Jesus is for our benefit, not his. He goes on to tell them that judgment on the world is near. The prince of this world, Satan, will be driven out. Carrying on from verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. To paraphrase, the crowd seemed agitated and confused about this statement. Wait a moment. We've been led to understand by our laws that the Messiah will remain forever. He doesn't die. And who's this son of man who must be lifted up? So they were seeing lifted up in the physical way, crucifixion. The end. Full stop. Their expectations of a king of Israel coming to reign forever dashed. They would have to wait but a while to see him overcome death, be resurrected and ascend into heaven in glorious exaltation and therefore, therefore drawing sinners to himself. Jesus sidesteps explaining the meaning of his statement. Instead, he refocused their attention back to him, the man in front of them, saying... There's a limited amount of time. The light will be with you. Walk in that light while you have the chance before the darkness overtakes you. No one in the, in the, walking in the dark can see where they're going. His firm instruction is for them to see and believe in the light while it is there with them. So you may become children of light. He's saying, see me, see my light. Walk with me and you'll always be able to see where you're going. Then he left, exhausted no doubt, and hid himself from them. He's left them with some thought-provoking things to wonder about. He now needed his own time to prepare for the task ahead. This week, we should consider if we're in the dark or the light? Are we walking confidently in the light of Jesus or stumbling around in the dark? Are we casual observers dipping in and out as it suits us? Are we waiting for Jesus to fail us or not live up to our lowly earthly expectations? Or do we want to see Jesus? 
Take your palm crosses home and prayerfully consider his obedience and unity with his father. Appreciate his grace that knows no end and give thanks for his eternal mercy and love for you. Dear gracious, merciful Lord, thank you that we are able to study, learn and see Jesus for who he is and what he did for us. Forgive us for our human frailties. May our hearts be forever grateful and glad. May our joy in you be apparent to all we meet. Lord, may we be spirit-filled to overflowing even. May we know your peace in your precious name. Hosanna. Amen.